Hi, and welcome to Be More Now. My name is Blake Moore, and tonight I'm interviewing Mendocino County poet and Wallala Art Center's artist in residence, Dana Teen Lomax. In a mix of poetry, process, and discovery, we'll be discussing Dana's poetry as well as her recent anthology, The Beautiful, an optimistic, wise collection of images and poetry highlighting America's 50 states, the District of Columbia, and the U.S. territories and commonwealths. Before I share our conversation, I want you to know a little bit about Dana. She's a fourth-generation Californian, and she's lived on the Mendocino Coast for nearly three years. Currently, she's the 21-22 poet-in-residence at the Wallala Art Center. The daughter of a painter and a builder, Dana began writing poetry as a child and remembers melting crayons in her bedroom and drawing poems around the swirls of color as a way of dealing with her parents' divorce. Early on, she knew that language had the ability to help people understand experience, help us sort, uncover, and or complicate how we see the world. In high school, she borrowed a copy of E.E. E. Cummings' selected poems at the local library, and the possibilities on the page shifted tremendously for her. Dana began to see poetry as a deep conversation with form, with the reader, with ways of directing experience and connecting with others in intimate ways. A lecturer at San Francisco State University for over two decades, Dana has taught writing in schools, prisons, libraries, hospitals, pubs, and farmers markets. She served as the director of Small Press Traffic, the Human Rights and Equity Chair for the Teachers Union, and as a traveling poet teacher with the Performing Arts Workshop, the William James Association, as well as California Poets in the Schools. To date, Dana has published three large-scale editorial projects and three books of poetry, as well as numerous chapbooks, broadsides, and discrete poems. Her most recent anthology includes work from every U.S. state, district, and territory, and commonwealth, and it's entitled The Beautiful, Poets Reimagine a Nation. Dana also edited Kindergard, Poems, Plays, Stories, and Songs for Children, which received a Creative Work Fund grant, as well as the Lion and Unicorn Award for Excellence in North American Literature from John Hopkins University Press. High points in Dana's career include when her book Disclosure was chosen by the Guerrilla Girls as one of their favorite poetry books of the year and the broadside printing of her poem Lullaby by Orion Press in San Francisco. Her current project, Unnamed Relation, considers the links and jumps between ideas, people, and ourselves in the world. Poems from this manuscript have been published in the American Poetry Review, The Elderly, and The Pie Review, among others. She's also working on completing a graphic novel with former middle school student Peyton Alexander, making poem films, writing a musical with her identical twin sister, and completing a short documentary about inequity in California's education system. Find out more about the amazing Dana Teen Lomax at her website, because there's lots more, and that's DanaTeenLomax.com. Here's a conversation we had earlier this week. Welcome, Dana Teen Lomax. It's such a pleasure to have you here with me. Do you want to start Hi. off with a poem? Hi. Sure. Yeah. Right. Let's see. Okay, this is from, it's an excerpt from a larger manuscript called Unnamed Relation. And I think you've seen them. They're the ones that are all hyphenated together. And these poems all begin with the in-between. This one's called Narrow Vision. The in-between of narrow vision, for whatever reason, only 1% of the human visual field is high resolution. The favia, as it's called. The rest of what we see peripherally is like looking through frosted glass. 
check it out. It's weird that even a common goat sees more of the world at one time than we do. Also, mantis shrimp, dragonflies, and chameleons, too, who all have wider fields of view. Clearly, the word common for any animal is a misnomer, and this might explain the cruelty that we enact on each other. Uh, So you want to talk a little bit about poetry and you and how poetry found itself in your life and maybe some background and who you are. Yeah, sure. So um, when I was little, I I wrote a poem. Um, My parents uh, had a volatile relationship, (laughs) to say the least. My dad uh, was an alcoholic, and my mom was a fundamentalist Christian, and they made a really loving and volatile (laughs) pair. Interesting combination, right. Yeah, trip out. Uh, They were really loving people and both very creative. Uh, My dad designed houses. My mom was a painter, and uh, not professionally, but I have paintings all over my house that she did, beautiful landscapes and seascapes. And and, um, so I would go in my room when they would fight, and I would write poems to help me figure it out and get through it, or in some cases just kind of block it out. And so it was a way of understanding the world and finding a solace, I guess, you know, when I was really little. And so I wrote just, I just wrote as a way of dealing with the world. Um, Do you remember how old you were when you first wrote one? You know, I think I was like, I was in elementary school, so maybe like, I don't know, I want to say seven, but it's probably more realistically like nine, something like that. And... um, uh, my mom, who was prone to do this, would go through my trash can and look at what I was doing in my room, you know, and she found one of my poems and she blew it up and she, she had it, Some one of our friends did calligraphy and he did this calligraphy piece and then painted a rose behind it and they put this, they made poster-sized prints of this and I was so embarrassed. I thought, oh my God, no. But then it was also at the same time, sort of like, wow, people think it's good. You know what I mean? Like, wow. Like, I didn't, I was Right, really, like, the cringe like, factor also came along with this idea of that, oh, yeah. they like it. it. Right. Exactly. And so it was this terrible invasion of privacy, and then it sort of had that second part to it, you know. So, um, yeah, so I've been writing ever since. And um, my parents didn't go to college, so I remember I was uh, probably – you know, maybe eighth grade, and a a kid came over and was talking about this thing called an MFA, that you could go and be go to college and just do art. And I was like, no way. Like, I I just thought that was the coolest thing. (laughs) You could do this. Like a dream. What? You could just do this the whole time? (laughs) Like, you could (laughs) just have to get a job? (laughs) Exactly. I was like, can you really do that? And so that's what I did. I mean, it took a long time. You know, I'm from a working class family and so I was I went to junior college and then I went to Sonoma State and then I went to UC Santa Cruz and then I went to San Francisco State like I you know I just kept it it took a long time but um I got my master's from SFSU and then I taught there for a number of years in creative writing and composition which is a very well-known writing university it's very very famous for that at least in the bay area 
popped well, out I, many, many brilliant, well-lauded writers. I was so lucky to work with Norma Cole and Bob Gluck and uh, Myung Mi Kim and just these amazing experimental writers that changed my life. Uh-huh. And, yeah, the cohort I was with was, you know, Sarah Ann Cox, Yetta Morrison, Jocelyn Sadenberg, just these incredible women writers. And, uh, I mean, I could go on. Erin Wilson, Lauren Shannon. Diane Frank was there, too, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm so happy for her. I know. She keeps winning things. (laughs) She was a guest on the show a couple of times over the last few years. Great. She was our feature poet for Third Thursday Poetry, which you are going to be also. Woohoo! I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be in August. Yes. Right. Talk about your own work and when do you find yourself writing different times of the day, all the time, when something inspires you? What's your writing habit? You know, um, I'm trying to be, it's it's this lifelong practice of trying to be the person who writes every day. And um, it's sort of, <laughs> I've also been trying to develop a meditation practice. I think they go together well. And um, I'm much more sporadic than that right now. Unfortunately, I wish I could say that I get up every morning. I'm working to be that person. It gets up in the morning and writes everything down and carves out a time, but it just seems like one thing leads into another, and, you know, I'm I'm busy a lot. Days on, yeah, to be that person. Mm -hmm. I was always one of those poem-a-day person, kept a journal religiously, and a lot of my younger disciplines have kind of moved into something else, right? I think that's part of the, as you get older and more accomplished on some level, some of those extra needs don't they change a little bit. Right. So no, you, absolutely. Do you prefer to sit down at night or in the day or whenever? Yeah, no, I, I it's it's a lot of whenever, but I do find that in the evenings when it's quiet and the cats are on the couch and it's just everything's the dishes are done or not and I'm just sitting here um toasty and quiet, that's a great time for me to write. Yeah. And um so I do that several times a week and I have a manuscript right now that's 136 pages and it's just going every which way but um, I just keep adding to it and we'll see what happens. Do you have a working title? Uh, yeah, Unnamed Relation is the, is the working title. Nice. I'm, I, it's sort of rivaling, I have another one called that I'm thinking about uh, called Seat in the Booth but I think Unnamed Relation right now is winning. Do you want to read us a poem? Sure. Let me see which one. This one kind of explains seat in the booth, so I'll go with this one. The in-between of we were all once a single-celled organism. You, me, and every person that's urinated on themselves a little at some point or another. So just as I might be pissed off at you, stepmother, for wanting, as Sarah Ann Cox says, to erase me if you could, or you, cousin, for not having known how to take your mental health more seriously. Or for the spots I cannot see, I apologize. Please forgive me. And come on over because we have saved you a comfortable, clean seat here in the booth. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for for the seat. I appreciate that, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. A lot of forgiveness that we all, I think, need more of in our life, right? Oh, my God, all the time, all the time. It's a never-ending process. I think that's one thing the last few years have really 
taught us and taught me, I know for sure, is that more forgiveness, more tolerance. You know, the one thing that I remember is if there's anger or hate in my heart, it hurts nobody but me. Oh, for sure. That's such a big lesson because sometimes things make me angry. (laughs) And then what do you do? Oh, my God. Do I carry it around or do I find a way to express it? And, man, poetry is such a beautiful way to find that forgiveness, you know, get that stuff out. Because otherwise it just gets lodged. You still have to express it somehow, right? Right. Right. I'm just thinking, like, in the face of, you know, Roe. Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, the, I, I think about the efficacy of poetry a lot. And um, I don't think it's either or. Like, I have a poem about this, actually. Um, how do we use poetry to channel our, our... I mean, anger means we're not getting what we want, Right. Where we've been wronged, right? Something, where where does anger come from? And right. It comes in fear that, a lot of times too, right? Right. That secondary emotion, right? But I also, just maybe this is just what I've dealt with, but when I feel wronged, I get mad. You know? When I feel like something's yeah. wrong, I want to change it. I want to do something. And so since I'm an artist and since I'm a poet, I go to my work to do that. Yeah. Um, right. Could I read a poem that kind of grapples with that idea? Oh, please, of course, yes. Yeah. Okay. This is uh, this is sort of dealing with that idea of what poetry can change. The in-between of understanding Rashida Phillips' comment to someone else. But alas, it appears you are still using the privilege of whiteness to gain currency that you don't deserve. Thinking of the term deserve, from Latin, to serve zealously, serve well, weighing again the pearly whiteness all over me, the uncounted luxuries it provides. My writing collective says, in questions of society, they're on the side of poetry. And Jack Spicer says, poems alone could never, or likely will never, pay anyone back. Hmm. Yeah, right? So I don't know which it is, right? I mean... Of course I'm on the side of poetry. I'm a poet. <laughs> I write with to try to change society and make a difference. And also, we need to change legislation. We need justice. We, I mean, what we really need to do is we need to find the checks and balances again. You know, unfortunately, we think it's parties, but it's really not. It's corporations. There's been so much corruption, and for the most part, I don't believe our elected leaders are really our our best interests are not in their hearts. When you look at who funds them and how how crazy and out of control the whole system has gotten. And right, with Citizens United, where corporations can be seen as individuals, it's ridiculous. Well, right. When I when I was voting in this last primary, I spent a bunch of time looking at who supported the candidates and. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at who supported the supporters of the candidate, where they get their money. And then you start realizing all the money is coming from the same places for both sides. So while we think we're voting for a Democrat or Republican or an independent or a green or, you know, for this issue or that, when you keep narrowing the pencil, you keep getting closer, you realize that for the most part, a lot of the things that are going on are corporate driven by Yeah, yeah. Have you heard that Ilya Kaminsky poem, We Lived Happily During the War? Yes. Yes. In the country of money, and I think it's, 
Oh, I wish I could remember it. It's something like in the city of money, in the state of money, in the country of money, our country of money, we forgive us, live happily during the war. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just the repetition of money in that is just so apt. Well, and those of us here in America especially, you know, a friend of mine used to always say, well, yeah, we live on the supply side of empire. You know, we're lucky for that. You know, in that right. sense that we have this opulence when when we look at the imbalances around the world, and so many of us don't think about that and don't really take the time to look at that level of injustice, the global injustices. So, mm-hmm. unfortunately, what I'm seeing is a lot of the leaders are using our own good values against us, but in so many ways aren't really, <laughs> it's it's rhetoric. It's hard. It's so hard. And I think as a poet, I don't want to offend either side, and I know for myself, I can't help but I'm a utopist. I want the world to be beautiful for everybody, you know. And so then, how do you find that 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 space in that? Where, where do you, you know, where do you forgive? I guess is the word that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that would even be forgive yourself for what you see, right? Right. I just want to take a moment to remind you that you're listening to Be More Now. I'm your host, Blake Moore, and I'm speaking with Walala Art Center Artist-in-Residence, Dana Teen Lomax. Right. How do you share your poems out in the world? Um, that's a really good question. How do I share them? Well, so I, pre-COVID, I would go to readings and, you know, be out in the scene. I, I loved uh, the small press traffic readings, and I loved going to when there was Knessa Gallery readings. You know, the city's just full of so many great readings, and I would go all the time. And then with COVID, now I go to Zoom readings, which in a way has been great, right? Because we get to go all over, you know, readings in New York, readings wherever. They're just available to us in our living rooms, so that's great. Um, but I, um, it's been kind of a quiet time because of what I'm going through personally, and it's been um, sort of a, I'm in a little bit of a hermitage. Uh, so, I mean, I published books. The Beautiful just came out, and it's not just my work, but I consider editorial work also creative and conceptual, and so I've been eagerly promoting The Beautiful. And then this book, I have been sending it out to a few places. I just uh, finished, I guess it's been a while now, maybe eight months ago or something, I finished the a residency um, online in Barcelona, which was really great, called Cell de Nord. And I met these incredible women from all over the world and shared poetry that way. And it was my first... Oh, that's a wonderful opportunity, an online residency. That's pretty cool. It was How really you... cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were people from, I mean, everywhere. <laughs> and uh, we're still in touch and we're still, you know, talking about each other's work and... Um, I hadn't been on a residency before, and it was a very strange way to do it, but I was honored. And then I also, after that, it sort of fueled me uh, to apply to the Banff Center for the Arts in Banff, Canada. And I had a a virtual residency there, which was really great. And it was one of those things, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but um, even still I have imposter syndrome sometimes as an artist. (laughs) <laughs> when I go and, like, oh, I'm not really an artist, right? 
<laughs> yeah, well, like, am I, do I belong here, whatever? And so <laughs> I'm not good enough. <laughs> you're so yeah, you're so brilliant. I love that. That's just so funny, right? <laughs> well, so, this this writer Jordan Abel uh, wrote this great book called Nishka, and I just really admire it, and I it's I love that book so much. And he was there, and he was one of the facilitators, and I got so weird. Have you do you know what I mean? Like I took on yes, I do that. I like, I, I sometimes do that if I'm attracted to someone I just get really goofy and I'm like what what are you doing you're not 13 anymore <laughs> yeah, yes. exactly and like self-deprecating and then also like alternately edgy like just weird yeah. right <laughs> but so that was really interesting to have a residency and be like that um but I, you know it did it it was great to put work out in those forums because they were international and mm-hmm. I learned so much about, you know, um, education camps for for the natives in Canada. Boarding schools. I think they were re-education boarding schools is what I remember. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. Here, called Jordan Abel wrote a book about the residential school system in Canada and the, the intergenerational effects of that. Um, yeah. Extending from, like, his grandparents to his father to himself. And it was just, it's such a striking book. If people haven't read Nishka, I would ho- totally recommend it. But there I was sharing my work in this, this international forum, being a goofball. Uh, it was so funny. But, you know, again, I made great friends there. Danny Spinoza, a, a really interesting experimental and conceptual writer, does um, concrete poetry in many different ways. Like, so interesting. And um, I found out about this book, Dear Science, um, McKittrick, um, just also changed my life. Um, so I, I, get, I share work in these forums with other artists right now. I haven't been out and about just because of, you know, COVID and my own personal health and my own some personal situations that are going on. So I'm not quite ready. I have been through the Lalala Art Center, uh, Seuss over there. I love them so much. And he, when I met him, he was like, you know, we could stand to have a poet in residence here. Would you do us the service? And I was like, are you kidding me? Absolutely. So I'm excited about, you know, putting something together there where we can all share work and, and form a stronger community in the writing. Oh, that's great. Among writers here. Yeah. That's wonderful. Re- would you read us a poem? Sure, sure, I'd be glad to. Let's see. Um, let me find one here. There's one at the end that I wanted to read. Okay. The in-between of my foot and when it hits the ground, touches the earth, meets it if I'm being poetic or particularly cheery. The overall effect, effect of where we are headed and why, plus how much energy we will take to get there. The bills look stupid in the table's morning light in the Anthropocene. The toey song that we won't recognize, busy as we are constantly with contrived human concerns. It works to expand and help us, inhabitants. It helps us hear all this from the Sundarbans increasingly vital perspective. Mm, That is a wonderful poem. So you want to segue into the beautiful? Why don't you give some background to the listening audience what the beautiful is? 
Yeah, so the beautiful Poets Reimagine a Nation is an anthology that includes some of America's foremost poets uh, from all across the United States, uh, including the territories, commonwealths, and districts of the United States. And um, it's, it's a collection that started because I had lost so many people that I love. Um, they, my parents died. My best friend that I've known since I was four died of cancer. Uh, we had a nephew who died in a car crash. I had a, Steve's brother, my, my ex's brother, um, had died earlier before in a, in a tragic accident. Just so many people. Our family dog died. I mean, it, it, it was one right after the other, and it really hasn't let up. Um, and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I was like, I don't know where how I can find joy, and I know it's out there, but I certainly can't find it. So I thought, well, if I had something beautiful, like I needed to find the beauty, right? So I said, if I had something beautiful coming to me, how can I do that? So I thought about the extended poetry family, people and and, um, poets that I've read for years that I've never met, but people whose work I'm familiar with and has meant something to me. And I decided to write to them and see if they would send me something beautiful from where they live. And I wanted something that they did not create because I didn't want it to be about, you know, look what I can do or here's my latest project. And I think that energy is really cool. I love that um, energy of, of creation that is so vital and churning in people. But I just, grief doesn't really look for that. I just needed something shared. And um, I wrote to all these poets, including two poet laureates, uh, Juan uh, Herrera, Felipe, Juan Felipe Herrera, sorry, <laughs> and uh, Joy Harjo, and asked, hey, would you send something? And they said yes. So Dorothea Lasky, uh, let's see, Arthur Za, just so many of our, Dor- uh, Perdita Sharma, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of who's all in here. Um, Linda Pastan, um, let me think here. Jericho Brown, he's a Pulitzer winner. Jaime Cortez, just lots of really great poets. Dorian Locks, just our treasures right across the nation. And I was so taken with how generous they were, and they started sending me beautiful things. And I asked for a, just a hundred word description, or I think I even said 75, really short description of why they sent what they sent. Because when a person is grieving, you can only you can only <laughs> concentrate for so long. It's like you can't really take a lot in. Um, and the result is the beautiful. And I looked for publishers, and I, I looked, and I had publishers, different publishers at different points who, once the pandemic hit, that were worried about the supply chain, or they ran out of money, or they pulled out, or in one case, I pulled out because I got uncomfortable with some of the associations with the press. And I had this book, and when I moved up here, I, it was one of the things I showed David Susala Seuss at the Wallala Art Center, and he said, yeah, we can publish that. And it's not a cheap book. It's full of color and all kinds of things, and, and we found a way to do it, and it's been 
going gangbusters ever since. People are really seem to identify with the need to use social justice in many cases and also surprising things beyond a beautiful picture to bring us solace as a nation. I like that. Do you want to read something from it? Yeah. One of uh, There's so many good things, but one of the surprising ones maybe is Alabama. And it's timely. <laughs> yeah. What's that? I said timely. Yes, exactly. So Jacqueline Allen Trimble uh, has a picture of the um, National Memorial for Peace and Justice, and I'll read what it says, and then I'll read her description of why she thought this was beautiful. For the hanged and beaten, for the shot drowned and burned, for the tortured, tormented, and terrorized, for those abandoned by the rule of law, we will remember. With hope because hopelessness is the enemy of justice, with courage because peace requires bravery, with persistence because justice is a constant struggle, with faith because we shall overcome. Here's what Jacqueline Allen Trimble writes of this. These words appear on a wall in EJI's National Memorial for Peace and Justice. Located in Montgomery, Alabama, once the capital of the Confederacy and a hub for slave auctions, the memorial enacts Keats' pronouncement, beauty is truth, truth beauty, by commemorating victims of racialized terror lynched throughout the United States. The words, like the memorial, testify to the power of truth-telling, transforming what was ugly into a beautiful symbol of hope and reclaiming our collective humanity. Mm, That's beautiful. And who wrote that? That is Jacqueline Allen Trimble. And then Washington State, I'll read a couple more if it's okay. Oh, please, yes. Washington State was by Sam and Sally Green, and their granddaughter, Cora Green, um, took a picture of these shoes that were left out in, in the for a year over the winter, and they are moss-covered. They look like little elephants. You can't even really see them unless you look really carefully at the picture. They look just like part of all the woods, right? But then you look and you can make out these shoes. I have a few of those. Wrote. I put plants in shoes. I've got a couple of those outside where you don't even really know they're planters. So I understand. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. So they write, in Washington State, Sally and Sam Green wrote, our granddaughter discovered these moss-covered shoes just off a trail on the tiny island where she lives. We think they are not only sculpturally beautiful, but also an unintentional memento mori, how how transient we are. Knew they would look out of place. Now they have come home visually and literally, as food for moss. We make a great shouting as a people, but there is an interior place in us, something like Ciardi's haunted silence. Nice. Here's Tennessee. Oh, yeah, please. There's a picture of an African-American family with lucky shirts on, and they all have, like, uh, Mardi Gras necklaces, but it says, Happy St. Patrick's Day. It's just a beautiful picture, and there's, they're at a table, and there are presents and candles, and and this one woman is holding uh, – there are two babies, and this one woman's holding the babies, and she has a wreath of flowers that she's wearing on her head. Tennessee by Amakajo. My twin cousins celebrated their first birthday in Memphis, Tennessee, on St. Patrick's Day. And though we aren't Irish, their parents 
sported bright green shirts that read Lucky. Fifty years after Dr. King's assassination on the balcony of the Lorraine Hotel, there's still a need to proclaim, I am a man. And yet, the children are eager for cake. And yet, sometimes we feel our blessings like a crown of flowers on our heads. <laughs> and and you, you chose Arkansas. Tell, tell me about your entry. Arkansas. Well, um, there's a picture of my grandma, my grandma Lucy, who was one of my favorite people ever. And she's, it looks like a really old-timey photo. She's asleep on a porch swing. And I'm not sure who took the picture, but I just know they must have really loved her because it's such a, it's well-framed and they just, you can tell they cared about her. And I wrote this about Arkansas. Grandma Lucy said Arkansas is the only state you could build a fence around and still have everything you'd need. I felt that way about her. She made magic out of not much. Cardinals on the fence post, sweet tea and fried okra, a ribbon tied at the neck. Her racism jolted me and divided us. The best parts of who I am come from her, and so does the history I work to heal. I love it. So... A... Go ahead. Well, she was racist, my grandmother. Mm. And it was no small thing between us. And I loved every other thing about her. She was funny. She didn't have a mean word about anyone but then she did yeah you know she and it was it was not okay <laughs> and I would try to talk to her about it and we'd actually it was the only thing we thought about um and you know I this is so funny but I went to have you ever heard of the spiritualist church mm-hmm. is it kind of a fundamental church or is it no the spiritualist church in San Francisco is on Franklin Street oh the one in San Francisco of course I have yes yeah, where the dead talk to you. You they have they have these people that are like uh, psychics or I'm not sure. Medium, they, right, right. Mediums, mediums, thank you. There are mediums who come and you go there on these certain times. They they don't always have it, but you know, like twice a week or something. And you go and I went and Grandma Lucy talked to me. And it was, you know, wow. I'm like always sort of is it real? Is it real? But they said, you know, you're, there's a grandmother figure here, and I had a short grandma and a tall grandma, and I'm like, oh, which grandma is it? And it was really weird that day. I got up, and I was like, oh, i got to go to this church. And I never – I've been there twice something, you know. I'm like, i got to go there. And I went there, and so right. I, was the first, I was the first person called, and they said, yeah, you uh, – grandma's here. And I'm like, is it the short one or the tall one? She's very tall. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a grandma. And then it was just – the person said she wants you to know she's really sorry for the things that she said um, that were mean-spirited. And she sees the work you're doing. And at the time, I was uh, the human rights and equity chair for the union, the teachers union. And she sees the work that you're doing to promote justice and fairness. And she wants you to know how sorry she is. So I feel like she apologized from the grave for her racism. (laughs) Yeah. Um, anyway, so... Well, I mean, I think that that's something that one realizes at some point. If you believe in an afterlife, I would imagine that that's the idea of the reckoning or something, whatever, however, whatever your spirituality or religion tells you what that is. I think we have many, many different names for it. But I like to imagine that there's a world somewhere where racism doesn't exist at all. 
and everyone who has experienced it or expresses it, all of that healing takes place. Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, yeah. yeah. And my in this piece about Arkansas, I'm I'm thinking that maybe if we all did that work now, we could, it uh-huh. could be here. Right. I'm with you. <laughs> My my family, my mom also came from Arkansas, and I used to spend summers, like a month or six weeks at a time during summer, and I came from Los Angeles, and I definitely was shocked by the racism that I encountered as young as six and witnessed it, and it um, shifted who I am and made me even more uh, adamant of the equality of all people. Right. So my grandparents were also very racist. Yeah, and I I have to keep myself in check because that's the foundation of my family experience, right? And so I'm always working hard to understand how to how to make sure we heal that in in my generation. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, my grandparents were poor. You know, when you look at the way the whole thing, the setup, when you really look at it, for a lot of people, this idea that they're they need someone beneath them to feel okay about their lives. That's a human trait, right? We tend to do that. Someone's always worse off than us. And for some people, you kind of need someone to be above. And in those days, it was definitely people of color. In some parts of our society, it's people with less money. But do we have to have that? Like, why would we have to have that? That's Oh, you know, oh, we don't have to have it. I'm, I'm with you on that. We, we certainly don't. Yeah, yeah, have yeah. It. <laughs> I'm like, wait, but, but, and I think my grandma it was what was hard about it for me was, she was so loving and smart, uh-huh. and so generous. And then to hear this, this, these ugly, violent language, I would be like, but, what? but they're doing that now. I mean, we saw it in the last two years uh, toward people who chose not to vaccinate. I mean, there was um, there's a place where you make them not human. It's the, what the Germans, what happened with the Jewish people, the the poor whites, and just the white people with the people of color in the South. So it is part of our human nature. And if we see someone not only as other but as animal, we can justify it. There's this weird psychology that makes it okay, even for loving, wonderful kind, compassionate people, there's a cognitive dissonance that takes place that if you can put someone in a category that they don't care about others or their skin color is wrong or, you know, they're stealing all our money or whatever the reasons are that we have seen throughout history that have created these vast programs, you know, or big disparities in our world. And it's a very interesting subject psychologically, you know, obviously really solving the problem because we all, I think all of us know that that problem exists, right? It's out there. Right. And we've all seen it. I've seen friendships and families fall apart the last few years over COVID. So we've actually got something like we're seeing it in real time. And that's been shocking. I did not expect to see that. Oh, so you mean because of the choice to not back? Is that what you mean? Yeah, whether you vaccinate or not or how you, whether you put a mask on or not, you know, whether you're, it it makes you not a nice person because you don't do this or this is the way it is. I mean, there's so much division that is um, unfortunate that, I mean, we need reconciliation and we need people that hold the different understandings. It's tough. 
you know. Right. I've right, tried to bring right. people together and, and, and I think I'm pretty successful because I do my best to lead with compassion and understanding, but it's been um an interesting dance for sure. Right. Right. And when we're talking about something like inequality, we have to ask ourselves how much are we willing to give up to make things equal? <laughs> you know, and that always gets tricky. Um, I I don't know. But but the yeah. beautiful, I really wanted it to be, with this anthology, the beautiful, I was really hopeful that it would be nonpartisan, that it would be that people would, would at least be able to agree on the values behind what was there. Once again, I want to remind you that you're listening to Be More Now. I'm Blake Moore, and I'm speaking with Dana Teen Lomax with poet and writer as editor of the anthology, The Beautiful. Because when we talk about issues, it's not like we all have, at some point, we all want safety, right? It's how we get there that is the, the rub, right? And yeah. so the, the, the values in, in this, I was a little sorry with the Kirkus Review, although they called it wise and profound, which is awesome. They said that it was in reaction in part to the Trump era. And I really, you know, I understand why they said that because there is a reference to him in the book, but really it's about trying to find the human connection among us with all of the divisions and losses that we've all suffered in our traumatic history. So, um, it's, I think it's successful in that. Yeah, I think so too. And I think you did a great job with that because it's, I don't feel partisan when I see it. I don't, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't get this idea that you're trying to promote one viewpoint or another. It just feels human to me. It feels very. Right. I mean, I'm not trying to skirt away but, from difficult, poli- I don't want to skirt away from difficult political questions and, and the anthology does not do that. It talks about gun violence, it talks about racism, it talks about uh, women's issues and homelessness, it talks about uh, really it addresses serious social problems, but it looks at them in a way that is beautiful and is promoting the beauty that can happen when we take those issues on together. That's what we need to do, and it it feels a bit like a call to action. How do you recognize the beautiful in your world? Where is it beautiful? What what can you see and can you focus on that beauty? I think that really helps us, especially in difficult times. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, we are running out of time. Do you want to read us one more of your poems? Okay. Of mine or from the book? Of, of yours. I'd like to hear one of your poems. Okay. I mean, you could, why don't you do a, an excerpt from the book and then a poem of okay. your own? So another from the book. Let me find one that's, let me find one that's different than what we've had. Really different. Oh, I'll read you um, Jericho Brown. He's in Georgia. Here's Jericho Brown. This is Georgia. And there's a sign that says seven even days on it. Restaurant owner, actor, comedian, handyman, apparel creator, music and video engineering, auto detailing, and pressure cleaning. (laughs) Georgia, Jericho Brown. Reach Hustleman at 561-661-9997. If you're anywhere in Georgia, he'll come to tell jokes or cook or lay tile or tell you about the goodness of Jesus for a fee. I met him in front of the barbecue pit attached to his truck on the street in front of a nightclub. He made me a rib sandwich. He is an example of everything black folk will do to survive. And who was the person who wrote that one? 
Jericho Brown. Okay. Yeah, he recently won the Pulitzer Prize for poetry. Mm-hmm. Not not since Diane Seuss, but before that. Okay. Let me see. Let me see which one I want to read to you. Okay. Here's one. This is a poem from Unnamed Relations. The in-between of class warfare. When I worked at San Francisco's downtown alternative high school, the kids, quote-unquote, at risk, wrote pieces about their hardships and were asked to perform them at ACT Theater. Afterwards, in a reflective circle, teachers said they were inspired by the connections made and the deep work art can do. While they processed with students, audience members stole the mics, the audio and lighting equipment, and the computers. The place was cleared out. And looking back, that was the end of Act 3. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, Dana. What a pleasure it's been. And if people want to find out more about you, how can they do that? The book, you, everything. Oh, thank you so much. The uh, the Beautiful is available on the Walala Arts website. They have a shop, and uh, they're selling the books there at the Walala Arts. I think it's uh, walalaarts.org. And I have a website, danatinlomax.com. If people want to check out what I'm up to, that's great. Thank you so much. You are a wonderful poet. <laughs> so much. Yes, I really enjoy uh a national treasure who's moved into our community, so we're so lucky to have you. I have known you through Poets in the Schools and didn't even realize you moved to our coast and discovered it, so I feel so lucky that you're here and sharing your beautiful work and bringing more great stuff into our community, so thank you for doing that. Blake, thanks so much for having me, and I appreciate how generous you always are with me and with the community. Thank you so much. Oh, my God, it's, it's, we, we, we all need each other, right? It takes a community to raise the poetry. <laughs> that is right, absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Mendocino County. Glad you live here. Thank you. I feel so <laughs> here. <laughs> so that was the voice of Walala poet, author, and, of course, Walala arts poet in residence, Dana Teen Lomax. I'm Blake Moore, and you're listening to Be More Now. It's another Thursday evening, first Thursday of July. Here comes another month, and I'm grateful that you're here with me. And I want to let you know about some other shows coming up right here on KZYX. Tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., we have Forthright Radio with Joy LeClaire. And host Joy LeClaire is talking with British barrister and award-winning author Jamie Suskind about his latest book, The Digital Republic, on freedom and democracy in the 21st century. And that's on Forthright Radio with your host, Joy LeClaire, and that's tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. And also tomorrow evening, Friday, July 8th at 7 p.m., we have Pride Radio Mendocino, and that's going to be with Corporal Sin and Terry, an hour of news and music from Mendocino County's LGBTQ community. And also that's every other Friday at 7 p.m. right here on KZYX. And I appreciate you listening. I want to apologize for my kitty in the background. He got into a little tussle with a scorpion and had to have some stitches. So he's an indoor cat right now, which is not his favorite thing. (laughs) I cannot get him to be quiet. 
And despite my my kitty cries, I'm going to continue because there are a few important things happening this weekend. So I'd like to share with you on Saturday is a pretty good day in Casper. And that's the Casper Community Center from noon to 8 p.m. And that's celebrating 20 years of the Community Center with music by Joe and Hattie Craven, Secondhand Grass, New Nashville West, Mama Grows Funk, and Bug Guts. Music, libations, vendors, and a cupcake walk. And that will be outside. And then on Sunday from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Anderson Valley Fairgrounds in the Redwood Grove is a memorial for longtime KZWX enthusiast and Anderson Valley resident Diane Herring. And she passed away on May 24th of this year. And a, a wonderful treasure in our community. She served as general manager and membership director over the years and also was the host of the popular KZWX music show, Lunch on the Back Porch. And people can bring memories of Diane, food or drink to share, and also musical instruments for a music jam. And again, that's 1 to 4 p.m. at the Anderson Valley Fairgrounds in the Redwood Grove on Sunday, July 10th. And one more event on Monday... And one more event on Monday, July 11th from noon to 7 p.m. is the Casper Forest Fest, which is the second annual Sacred Pomo Homelands Casper Forest Fest. And that is going to also be at the Casper Community Center. And music includes Mama Gross Funk, Gene Parsons, Secondhand Grass, Diane Patterson, Daryl Cherney, Holly Tannen, and more. Speakers will include Priscilla Hunter of the Coyote Valley Band of Pomo Indians, Sarah Constance Rose, and Raviel Gautier of Mendocino County Youth for Climate. There will be ecology workshops in English and Spanish, kids' activities, information booths, libations, and food by Daylin and her crew. All are welcome. No will be turned away. Donations accepted. And you can find out more information at savejackson.org. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And I wish you a beautiful evening. And since beauty is in the air, both in honor of Dana Teen Lomax's book, The Beautiful, and my love of the word. I tend to use beautiful a lot. I think it's a expression that just feels right inside my heart. So I'm going to take us out with one of my very favorite songs. This is called Something Beautiful and it's by Trombone Shorty and he's a New Orleans favorite. Always ends Jazz Fest every year. Enjoy. <laughs> Here's to the reclamation of our hearts. Dig deep, dive in, and find gratitude. Have a beautiful evening. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening. Can you show me something?